Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash. Back with you again. I'm the CEO of Booktopia and we have another author, hot off the press, Advance. 12 Essential Elements to Supercharge Productivity and Profitability, Ishan Galapati. And welcome to the show. It's right up my alley. I look forward to having this one hour with you. Yeah, thank you, Tony. And uh, what wonderful times we live in, um, particularly um, as we come out of this uh, lockdown in Sydney. And I'm uh, really excited because I'm actually talking to a CEO of a supply chain organization, which is kind of what where my um, corporate background has been. So um, yeah, there's more questions I actually want to ask you, but perhaps towards the end. Yeah, yeah, no, great. Um, uh, it'll be it'll be free free flowing. I can assure you because <laughs> pr- productivity improvements. I mean, we we ship nine million units this year, and if you can save one cent per unit, then it's amazing how much can drop to the bottom line or how much time you might save, which of course is money in an organization, and and people want to be more productive and more efficient. So it's um it's it's really exciting. So let's just talk a little bit about um. The kind of work that you do do so people can understand who you are and and how you kind of um, have been in a position to write this book sure so my um you know 20 years in uh, corporate uh, manufacturing corporate toys or companies like kellogg's and arnott's you know the, the multinationals and when i look at my entire 20 years um they've been kind of two predominant roles um either i've been in the pure manufacturing, so they're the production management or manufacturing management kind of roles where you're looking after conversion from raw material to finished goods and and everything goes in between all of that. Um, But the other kind of roles that I've had are these um, continuous improvement, uh, process improvement or operational excellence is the fancy word, um, those kind of roles. And um, it's almost like the two sides of the same coin of how do you work together to improve productivity, performance, and ultimately profitability in an organization. Um, My last corporate role was at Kellogg. Uh, I was fortunate to lead Asia Pacific for operational excellence. Um, But one of the things that I really feel privileged in that role was to be part of a global team to create a global supply chain excellence framework, uh, which is how all the Kellogg factories um, operate. So having been part of the team that created from inception gave me an opportunity to understand the first principles, if you will. Coupled that with my engineering and my postgraduate studies, um, kind of given me what the theoretical world is, but also what are the things that really ticks Um, in a pragmatic and a practical way to continue to improve performance. And that's kind of been my um, expertise and experience. And the key focus in this book is while there are complex programs and methodologies, my big word is simplification. So this book is a simplified view of how to improve performance and productivity. So there, um, uh, there's about 18 questions that yeah. out of that uh, out, out, out of that piece of information, um, I guess. So let's just start with the book then first up. Who, who's it really written for? Is it written for 
um, the you know the continuous improvement manager who's in an organization is it no it's got to go to the team leaders so the the continuous improvement manager or the operational excellence manager or lead um here you take you take your show's book because i need you to understand this so you know where i'm coming from um or or is it somebody who's even um lower down in the organization perhaps in the the first few years of their career and they're and they're trying to um get ahead or or be able to stand out amongst their peers who's going to be the great or even a ceo who's going to be the greatest um, um yeah. i guess um um disciple of of your book mm. um it is a how-to guide um so the 12 essential elements um it, it comes with uh frameworks uh, templates and steps on how to implement um, the, the elements. So if you're a mid-tier company, um, and, and I predominantly talk to manufacturing or logistics companies, so if you're making something or moving something, then these principles readily apply. But we know that these principles also readily apply to the service sector. We've seen the concepts being applied in the, in the healthcare, in, in the finances. But I'll talk to manufacturing and logistics because that's the world um, I'm familiar with, but your listeners in the other sectors will be able to translate it into, into their world. So if you're a mid-tier company, I, I guess it would be a managing director or, or a general manager of that company who will be reading this as a way of, uh, the, your company would have grown to a certain size and you know that what got you here is not going to get you that to, to the future to use a, or, um, a, a popular uh, phrase. And at a point where you're feeling some growth pains, you're trying to figure out how do I continue to grow the business and grow the bottom line at, at the same time this book might provide some insights and and certainly you know you might want to then share it amongst your leadership team in terms of how to deploy it but if you're in a large organization um certainly a ceo uh, or a managing director uh, is, is not going to be reading this book i see more as an operations director in a large organization who won't be, um, you know, this won't be the first time that person will be reading these concepts. So the, the concepts will be familiar, but what this book will do is provide an extremely simplified, extremely um, practical tips in terms of change management, right? Well, there's a whole book on change management if you want to read, but here's the one chapter that you just need to read and the three steps that you really want to implement to make change stick. So depending on where you are in the spectrum of the organization, I guess. But it's definitely in that leader role, um, not at a team leader role. Mm. It is interesting when I look at the, the endorsements you've got at the beginning of your book, which is plentiful, may I say, and the names of the companies that have endorsed your book um, in various uh, industry, business, thought leadership, um, well done. Um, it's not easy to get that many people to to endorse a book. So it's you must be heading in the right direction. If I if I jump to the uh, to the, the the table of contents just to kind of poke around and and kind of just you know, what's this book all about? 
as people know, I don't really like to go into the book. I want you to buy the book, whether it's from Booktopia or from any other bookstore, please go out and buy Ishan's book because um, it's obviously a game changer. But let's let's just take a look. You've got the four different parts um, of the book, implement, unlock, focus, and shift. But if I was to say, um, look at some of these elements of your, your 12, you know, the 12 things that you that you essential elements to supercharge your business um what's one here that um balancing the load so so number two balancing the load so this is in the first uh part yeah um just talk a bit about when you when you walk into an organization is it like is it like oh my god look um you know is it i, I guess everyone can look at certain things in, in their experiencing a, like in real estate, maybe someone walks into a property and they go, Oh my God, I can really flip this. I can do this. I can knock down that wall. Oh my God. It's, this is a gold mine. Mm. When you walk into companies, are you mostly going, Oh, what a, what a mess. Or even when they've got all the right operational excellence teams, there's, there's still, you know, finer and finer opportunities that, that you can work with to extract even more value. What, how do you, how do you go balance the load? What happens there? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll come to that in a minute, and let me just take a step back and um, answer the kind of the unanswered uh, question around what do I see when I walk into companies. Um, there are two things. Uh, one is um, no, I don't go into companies and say, hand over your keys and go straight to jail because you're not worthy of, <laughs> how can you run this company like this? No, I don't say that. Um, um, I'm so, I, I get two surprise points. Um, I'm surprised by two points. One is that um, even some of the large established companies, you walk in and one expects, because these concepts have been there for decades, and we've spoken about it and we all know about it. And, and one expects the journey, which is the other word that's used quite closely with uh, these kind of programs. One expects that these companies would be on the journey and, and be uh, at, at a certain maturity stage. Um, but most leaders talk to me almost kind of in that very um, humbling and very almost ashamed I guess to say like you know we're just starting the journey now Ishan and you know almost in an apologetic tone um, because they feel that they're not um, mature enough that surprises me you know how could these companies we've, we've been banging on uh, these concepts for a long time so why haven't we shifted the needle in, in the manufacturing sector particularly uh, with these concepts with the beginning of town then there are the mid-tier companies and they, you know, there are 50, 60, 70 million dollar businesses that still runs without a daily huddle meeting in the, in the morning, right? Now, that's one of the, the basic principles and I'm gobsmacked as to how did they even get to this stage without even having a daily huddle meeting and, and the mindset there is, Oh, Ishan, we are not as big as a Kellogg and an Arnott's and we don't need that. I'm like, no, 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 it's not about the size. The, the only differentiation um, between a small company and a big company is the number of zeros on the PL at the end. But you get to a certain point where the principles don't, you know, um, apply readily across. So I'm surprised as to 
how these companies, the mid-tier companies, even get to the size they have got to, um, being you know, the competitive world we live in um, with rising input costs and, and whatnot. So yeah, that's what I'm most surprised uh, by, uh, Tony, in terms of, yeah, we've been talking about resuscitating or reviving the Australian manufacturing for a while now. And we've heard the, uh, the statistic of, yeah, it's only 5% of GDP now, and you know, it used to be 30% back in the 60s. Um, and there's a lot of good work that um, the government's been doing in trying to you know, get the curve back going the other way. Um, but what I see a lot is the focus on technology. And I know, um, you know your company operates very much heavily on technology and, and there's a place for technology, don't get me wrong. You know, I studied mechatronics for my undergrad so um, at, at UNSW, so I'm, I'm not an anti-technology person. Um, yeah, technology has to come into place, but I'm talking about the fundamentals that makes a good manufacturing business with good manufacturing principles. Um, these fundamentals are missing in the big end of town and the smaller end of town as well. And that's what this book will help you to implement. Now, coming to your um, balancing the load. So part one of the book is about implementing, which is um, the, the essence is around, you've got your strategies developed. I'm not a strategist, so this book is not going to help you develop the strategies, but it will help you to start implementing and getting a bit of rubber on the road. So with that, what I've seen is um, the, the best of the best, the world-class companies that I've been privileged to see around the world, how they operate um, is that they share the load in that if it is the next year, the strategic and the tactical plans, um, they, they come up with these three-year plans. This is not a novel concept, but the three-year plan is clearly articulated that if you were to go to a shop floor and ask an operator, they would be able to turn around and show to a big poster that would be clearly visible. They would point to it and say, that's where we're heading in three years. And that's what this is about. Um, and, and they can relate to what that means. But more importantly, they would know what's happening within the year. And even more importantly, they would tell you what activities are being conducted within the current quarter and what role the individuals are playing. So going from a three year to annual to quarters, yep, you know, you learn that in every MBA and in every leadership program, but how to turn it into, um, uh, how, how to implement it in a practical way is, is what balancing the load is because you want the, your leadership team or the people who are leading these key activities, you want to kind of sequence it in a logical way, but you also want to plan your year with a way that it's only 80% loaded. You've got that extra sprint capacity if needed to be. So balancing the load takes on two views. Um, one is the logical sequence. The other one is how full do you fill it up? Um, and also do the dots connect? So that's what chapter two is about. Long answer, isn't it? No, but it's interesting because for me, we definitely do stand-ups. Most of the teams that I know of are doing morning stand-ups and even 
there could be a couple or two or three during the day as well. So um, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that, that that's what the, the most um, um, advanced companies are kind of doing around the world. I wasn't aware of that, having, mm. not, having mm. not grown up with it. Um, and then also the idea of having people on the shop floor who are perhaps picking and packing to be able to articulate that three year, which definitely does not happen at Booktopia. In fact, my main, when I think about that, you know, would I prefer them to, to um, know um, the three year, one year quarterly plan, or would I prefer them to have a very customer obsessed um, mindset, meaning that if they pick a book and it's a little bit dusty uh, for whatever reason, that they they make sure that they they wipe it down and because they know it's going to go off to a customer versus just picking the dusty book putting and then sending it off so it arrives to the customer dusty i i would prefer them to be very customer obsessed obsessed that one of my favorite books of all time is the prophet by khalil gibran and he talks about uh, um, many different things but in the work work is love made visible so if you're baking a bread as a baker if you if you bake it as if you were giving it to your loved one, then it will taste sweet. If you bake it and you do it with resentment, then it will taste bitter. And and so it's the same thing for me on the shop floor. I want to see more of that. Um, it, like they know that the book is going to be opened up by somebody somewhere in Australia or around the world, and they go, "Oh my God, this is I'm so happy to get this." Uh, I think I think we we are a long way off that at the moment, particularly with our growth, where we've had to increase the size of that team. Mm. So a couple of things come to mind, uh, Tony, and and one is, um, so let's talk about that what, what you just mentioned, right? So you have a very customer centric uh, focus. So that could be a value. Uh, I'm not sure if it is or not, but let's just pretend for the sake of, for for this conversation that it's one of the company values. So. You know, every organization would say, yep, these are our values and, you know, whether it is authenticity or integrity or, um, and, and, and let's go with customer centricity. So that word then lives on a poster somewhere. And let's just see, uh, let's just try to understand. So that's the value. Then the work that we do or, or the, in, in, in a world-class company everything gets measured, right? Everything that's meaningful gets measured. Um, um, and one of the things would be um, customer complaints, right? And let's pretend um, that your customer complaints have been trending um, unfavorably um, over the last three months or, or last six months or whatever the case, whether it is, um, books not in good order or whether it's just delayed shipments or whatever, right? But we don't know. All we know is just people are not happy and they're, they're complaining. And if that's a trend, then at, at a certain point, through the right review of the metrics by the right people, something would get flagged, not on an hourly basis, not at the shift meeting, not at the daily meeting, but somewhere between a quarterly or a monthly review by a leadership team at some level would point out saying something's wrong, our customer um, complaints are going up. That's all they would know at that point in time. What that would then do is then instigate a, a, um, 
a team or a project uh, to look into it and to reverse the trend because you need to live up to the customer value. Right? So that will be done not as a reactive Jimmy, I'm going to put an action on the whiteboard here, mate, for you to go and look into why we why the complaints are going up. It's not one of those, and come back to me tomorrow at the daily huddle. You're not going to be able to solve that in 24 hours, right? And one person's not going to be able to solve that problem either. So you would then create a cross-functional team to look into it, and then they would go through the, uh, the problem solving. So if you were on the floor, and if you had a long-term goal to saying we want to achieve you know, nine, more than 98% customer satisfaction, what, you know, let's pretend again that's a metric that you measure and um, is useful to your business. If I was on the floor and if I was talking to a, um, um, a shop floor operator, say, hey, what's Booktopia about? They would point up to a picture that would say, we're in the next, by 2025, we're going to be greater than 99% customer service. And our lead time is going to be less than half of what it is today. And we're going to be doing this. So they will be able to go blah, 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 you know, very pointed, not, you know, typically we are familiar with when, you know, uh, companies say, oh, we achieve to be the best um, in, 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 in the Asia Pacific to achieve the number one. And these are kind of like those motherhood statements that could stay true forever uh, behind the reception wall. But the world-class companies, they that could be the mission statement, but in terms of the next three years, it's very pointed in terms of this is where we need to go. Um, and with that, if I were to ask the operator then, so what's happening about it, they would tell you, Oh, the company is working on a big capital, you know, capex project with technology to reduce the lead time. I know about it because I've heard it at the last town hall meeting. However, our complaints have been going up recently, and I'm part of that team. We've been meeting uh, for the last three weeks, um, and we are trying to understand what's going on with the complaints, and we 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 are. Uh, trying to fix it. So that person would be engaged, which is one of the things that we all try to figure out how to um, do, the person's engaged because the work's meaningful because I'm doing something part of an organization that's doing something meaningful. I can relate to it because I get constantly communicated on how that is translating or how the leadership team is leading to make that happen. Ultimately, I'm involved to change something um, on the floor, uh, the processes that we work with on a daily basis. And I think that gives people the ultimate um, satisfaction of I'm actually getting involved, not just pressing buttons or just putting something into a carton. So to step back out and think a little bit more globally now about um, continuous improvement, operational excellence, um, supercharging productivity and profitability, which is what your book's about. Um, do, do, like how many companies are not establishing that kind of uh, team and the, they should be doing it much earlier um, or the companies of a certain size and you, you walk in and you go, what? You, you, like the reason why I ask is we just recently employed our first continuous improvement manager. Um, and so um, 
with tons of experience and I'm really quite frankly through the whole interview process I, I wish I could have just hired everybody because you just as a CEO it's just like there is money to be made here there is efficiencies there is time savings it's just like one of the most exciting things we've embarked on quite frankly in the last couple of years that's including an IPO because mm. that whole idea of continually looking and diving into going actually that's not as what what that's really wasting time or that's um, we're actually doing something that's redundant but nobody's asked the question um is it still necessary etc all these things so i'm 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 super excited but given that we probably should have had someone working in this area for four or five years i guess do, do you see um that it's it's not i guess you have a finance team you've got a customer service team you've got a you know all these teams that every company will have but then there's there's no nobody working on continu continuous improvement or as i said to my deputy ceo wayne baskin he and i before we started this recruitment process was like we're doing it we see things we're the ones that are coming up now of course other people in the organization are doing it as well but there was no one dedicated to do this what, what's your view on the way the world works with companies and when they should think about really engaging someone to do it um, full time because it's it's going to start impacting the bottom line and profitability and most likely um, I quite I believe eradicate many frustrations because the rest of the company kind of lives with it you know it's just like well that's nothing I can do about it you know that's the way the system was written blah 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 and it's just yeah. And people just kind of do all these workarounds or all these live with it. Um, I'll keep using the word world class. Um, that that'll mean different things to different people. Um, I was fortunate to have uh, to to actually visit one of the world class companies in in, in my view. Um, so. Uh, it's a PNG Procter Gamble owned factory in North America, in Jackson's, Tennessee. It was a Pringles potato chip uh, factory. It's one of those mega factories, um, 600 employees, um, 40 acres under roof, and 75% of global Pringles consumption got manufactured at that factory. Um, and and um, part of the, the, the Kellogg team spent nearly a month, multiple visits, not only to um, kick the tires, but also um, have a good look at um, the insides of it. So that's my reference point. Um, Procter Gamble is globally renowned as one of the best of the best companies for having that supply chain excellence mindset. There are many others. Um, Toyota is probably the, um, the, other, the other company that people would uh, readily relate to. So whatever reference that you may hold as what is world-class, I've got mine. In relation, now, when you talk to these companies, again, the word that'll come out is the journey. It's like, well, we got started at some point and then we stayed on the journey. So when is the right time to plant the oak tree? Well, that was 20 years ago, but the second best time is right now. So. Starting a continuous improvement journey always, you know, in hindsight, in, in, in reflection, damn, you know, I could have done this ago and, you know, how much better could we have been? Um, 
yeah, I think awareness of um, that there's so much efficiencies to be improved, um, that there's a lot that you can um, improve um, in the second half of your PNL, so improving the operational margin. Um, there's a lot uh, that's hidden that you can tap into. And that's what this is about. While companies are so focused on growing the top line, yeah, and we also focus on, on, on the bottom line of net profitability, but that operational margin, which is kind of that middle thing, um, kind of gets missed. And, and we try to move that needle either through an ad hoc you know, cost-cutting approach. You know, let's just take overtime out, let's remove training and, you know, let's remove the color printing costs, um, all of that. So that's that cost-cutting. But the world-class companies start on a journey, they have a structure and they use the structure and the system to then continually um, move the needle. So is there a right time? Um, I think as soon as you become aware, um, if you try to systemize the way you improve performance, then you will realize that, okay, this makes sense. Um, and and this, is, this becomes almost like a business blueprint of not just improving, but this is how to run the business because, okay, you set your strategies, you set your tactics. Um, how do you measure your day-to-day -day and the week-to-week -week and the month-to-month -month against the tactics? And uh, the, the measuring of those will reduce your chaos the day to day. And then on the flip side, find the biggest gaps, start initiatives and close the gap. That's as simple as it gets. So if you have a framework, then that becomes the best way to continue on this journey. So um, th there isn't, I think, the only thing I would say is the size of the company. If you're less than a $10 million, $20 million business, even sometimes, you know, there's half a dozen people, you're doing everything everyone's got to do and you're trying to grow the company. You can't really leverage these concepts. Maybe the huddle meeting might work. But if you're anything bigger than a $20 million business, I would highly urge you if, um, if you're not doing something consciously about improving performance, if you're just reactively looking at the PNL and looking at where the negative variances are and you're thinking how to close that gap next month, then that's the time you want to look at um, putting in a system that's going to continually improve. I mean, I, from my experience, I mean, Booktopia was built from a $10 note and we went through the million dollar mark, the 2 million, the 5 million, the 10, 20, 50, 100, 200 right and we're on our way to a billion and you, it feels like to me that having a book like yours um is helpful because even though you may not be bringing in a practitioner in the beginning to perhaps assist you to do that work or dedicate someone internally to do that work you are doing that if all you have to do is think back well what were we like when we were turning over a million and we're now turning over 5 million? There's gonna be efficiencies. There's gonna be certain things that are going on that, that enable you to scale and not, and not have to do things in a certain way. So it, we're all continuously improving. It just depends on what sort of methodology and, and pr practical approach, um, which seems to be when I talked to, when I was interviewing those, those um, people for that role and also 
um, uh, you know, I look at a book like yours and I think about Six Sigma, Lean, and all the other um, you know, practices that are out there to, to kind of help us improve. I, I'd like to kind of just have a bit of fun and change pace for a moment. Does sure. it become, when you do what you, when you guys do, does it, does it come embarrassingly um, obsessive? So like you're about to go on a family holiday or you've got, you've got a barbecue happening and, you know, you know, I could have done those sausages, um, you know, like <laughs> the timing was off there or the way that the, the, the way that the, um, you know, that the ice melted too early. Like, are you constantly kind of obsessing as your family go, Ishan, please just leave it at the office. Stop with <laughs> the, like, you, the, how long it took the kids to get to bed and you, like, there was too much dawdling. You could have, you know, like, you stopped on that step. Like, <laughs> does, it, does it drive you crazy or is it actually, can you separate it out? And go, um, yeah. Yes and no, and, and and I believe how you do one thing is how you do everything. Again, I'm I'm using all the, you know, the, the generally known um, statements and quotes. Um, the reason why I think in this world, and and it, and I'm an engineer, and yes, I'm I'm a bit more um, left brain, I guess, so process and um, engineering and numbers. Yeah, you know, that's the world I live in. Um, so if, if the question is, then do I apply some of that thinking into my, in, in my personal life? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it makes sense. So one of the things um, that I do is one of these. So uh, your, you, well, your listeners can't see. What does that say, Tony? There's a daily habit tracker. Right. It's a daily habit tracker. And this template, uh, it's a grid. So just for your listeners, uh, it's a grid. It's right next to my uh, desk. Um, it's just printed off Excel mm -hmm. and um, the, the, the columns are the, the dates of the month and uh, the rows are the different tasks that I need to do on a daily and weekly basis. Now, I've adopted this. This is how we basically measure uh, the effectiveness of a daily huddle meeting. So that's the concept. But I've adopted it to my daily um, practice. And how do I want to improve myself? And the things that I focus on um, are things like, well, obviously the categories of mind, body, soul, and there's my practice and how, you know, the, the things that I need to do for my family and gratitude. Um, you know, do I exercise and meditate and all of that? And guess what? Keep it simple. Red dot, green dot. Um, and there's a black dot on there as well. Well, the, the black dot came because I thought it was a green and I put a green and then I slapped, oh. you know, gave a slap on my wrist and I put a red dot on top of the green, which then turned out to be black. <laughs> uh, okay. um, so I adopt that. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I go to my garage and I'm trying to look for tools. Now, you know, the, the concept of shadow boards and putting everything in the place and, you know, you should be able to grab whatever tool um, blindfoldedly. That's what I aspire it to be. But with two teenage boys in the house, I can't find these damn tools and I don't know where they've gone. So I get continually frustrated um, that I can't find the tools, that I can't, um, you know, I love cooking and I can't, you know, I'd love to be able to um, open the pantry and grab whatever spice I want without having to look search because, you know, the Moroccan spice should be in the same spot, shouldn't it? <laughs> but no, I've got to look through it and it's, somebody shifted it to the back and, so they're the conversations um, in, in our household in terms of, like, come on, guys, you know, let's just systemize and, 
Um, but the other thing is looking at inefficiencies. Yeah, I see inefficiencies everywhere. It's not, you know, whether it is at the supermarket um, or whether it is at, um, uh, you know, putting, putting petrol into the car, because, you know, the, the principles of how do we identify what waste is, it, it's fairly simple. And that's what's really good about this language or this, this uh, concept is that, you know, you see waste everywhere, a bit like the movie, The Sixth Sense, you know, that early 2000s uh, Bruce Willis movie, you know, uh, it's just, you know, at the end, you know, the, the Bruce Willis's character is like, well, I see dead people everywhere. Or was that the little child? Um, so once you're aware of it, then uh, you'll see inefficiencies everywhere. So, um, yeah, so I'll constantly, you know, if I'm getting a coffee from a cafe and if the sugar and the teaspoons and the things are not in the right order, I'll move it for them. Uh, like, yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but because it's not hard to understand. Um, well, and, and you feel um, that something's out of sync. So make it work. So remove the friction, just make it easier. Um, so, yeah, I, I try to... I try to make life as frictionless as possible. Mm. So one of the things for me, um, which is different to my wife, she um, she's taught me, we've been together almost 10 years, she values time a lot more than I do or mm. did. And why do that when you could have done it like this to give yourself more time? Um, which is interesting because Absolutely. I mean, I've certainly accomplished a lot with the time that I've had, um, but then there's a lot of wastage or, or um, kind of, a, I won't say abusive time, but just elapsed yeah. time where it, I, I could have been so much more effective. Do you, do you notice that? Is that an important aspect uh, when working with an organization of people to see who kind of, respects time and and understands what that means to have that just simply be wasted is that an important component absolutely because um i'll, I'll talk to i'll talk from a personal perspective first and then i'll cross over to the uh, the business perspective so i i truly believe um in in uh, time as the most important currency in life um, and the money and everything else we trade with is purely to save time, if you think about it. So you can have every, you can do everything yourself. Um, you can build your own, you can learn to build your own car. You can learn to build your own house. You don't need anyone's help, but it's going to probably take your entire lifetime and more. So what you're trading with is to shorten the time because I want to go and pay money to the builder. So the value exchange is shorten the time, give me the house I want and I'll pay you. Thank you. Because otherwise that would have taken me a lifetime. So that's the view um, I, I take from a personal perspective. And um, again, between my wife and I, um, I'm the more planned uh, person. So I, for, you know, when the weekend is coming up, I want to plan ahead. What are we doing in the morning? You know, not hour by hour, you know, but kind of, you know, let, let's just chunk it out. And if you're having free time, I want to put it in my mind that, okay, Saturday afternoon is free time. So once I know it's been scheduled to have free time, I can relax. Mm. But, um, whilst people might think that I'm a bit obsessive, um, my view is it's purely to get to Sunday evening 
and know that you've had the best family weekend every weekend, knowing that you've got the most out of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do catch myself, you know, 10 YouTube videos late. I'm going like, well, Sean, how did you get to this point? We all have those moments, you know, I don't want to pretend that I'm the perfect, um, you know, productive person um, on earth, you know, far from it. Uh, but it's the awareness and how do you constantly push yourself? Again, personal, let's just stop there, come back to your question on, on a business perspective. Um, you can certainly look for culture, organizational culture. So uh, do meetings start on time? Do meetings finish on time? Um, is there an agenda for meetings? And does the facilitator keep the meeting between, um, you know, the agenda and, and on, on track? Because... Um, time is important, right? We don't want one meeting to finish and then having to organize another meeting because we really didn't get to what we wanted to get to in that meeting. So you can observe those behaviors um, to see whether it's a cultural issue. It's just that, well, you know, we were the, um, sorry, if I can use your example again, you know, we just started in the garage with a $10 note and yeah, we've become the billion dollar company. We've done things that made sense, but, you know, we haven't quite, improved on this because it's it's the culture is the culture again you know just hypothetically not saying that's the case um so you can look for okay you know we, we are we are not being as effective as we could so you can look for that or you can look for um an individual behavior so is it a cultural issue within the organization or is it an individual um who's just got poor you know uh, timekeeping practices or uh, respect for time, I guess. And the other thing is, is it just lack of processes? So we, in, in early stages, you know, when the business is growing rapidly and if you don't have the right checks and balances in terms of processes, what tends to happen is we create our own chaos and we inflict our own pain. You know, you know let's, let's pretend it's a, it's a manufacturing business and you would start manufacturing a certain order and you would be running out of material. So you have to stop that or there's an urgent um, back order from yesterday that the customer is screaming on. So, you know, uh, the, oper the operations manager would be talking to the warehouse manager saying, well, you know, can we get that shipment out? And so the disruption that happens within the organization, you know, the so-called firefighting, because we are all believing that we're doing the right thing to deliver the customer's promise, and maybe so, but the, the way we are going about it is how many knocks on the door do you, during the day, do you need to make to kind of change things and follow up, you know, how many phone calls and emails and, you know, walking on the floor saying, stop this job and start that one, that disruptive, chaotic nature um, is not going to get better. And that's what basically, if you're operating in that mode, you'll be familiar with the, the concept that all the leaders get sucked into this day-to-day -day vortex of trying to put out the daily fire. So that is, you know, you, you're basically operating on borrowed time. So you want to put systems in place to kind of reduce that chaos, which is kind of respecting time at an organizational level. That will give you the space to then work on how do we shift the, the, the needle in. Yeah, businesses might say, we, we don't have time, um, Ishan, and we're doing the best. Um, 
or what I'll say is if you can't create the time to make time, you'll never have enough time. Mm. Isham, we're coming towards the end of our time together, which seems to have flashed by so quickly. Maybe we've made good use of time. Hopefully we have. <laughs> um, is there anything within your book, Advanced 12 Essential Elements to Supercharge Productivity and Profitability? Mm. Is there anything in here that perhaps we haven't covered and you thought, oh, well, I was expecting to kind of talk about this yep. to, to make sure um, that leave with the, with, the, with the people who are listening? Absolutely. A um, couple of things, um, and I'll be cognizant of um, the time factor. Um, part two is about unlocking and, and solving critical problems. And, and this is a topic that I could speak on its own uh, for another episode, uh, Tony, or even speak for a day. Um, so this is about once we've got systems to manage the day-to-day, -day, then how do we um, unlock those hidden opportunities? The problem is that it's not due to lack of ideas, not due to lack of um, initiatives or data points. Um, I talk about the concept or the paradigm of elephants versus turtles. And, and the thinking is this, elephants in the wild, when they're born, um, baby elephant calves are nurtured by the female herd. And science tells us that they have a 65% success rate in maturing to an adult elephant. Turtles, as we all know, lay hundreds of eggs in, per clutch. Um, you, you know, listeners will be um, surprised to learn that only 0.1% of a, um, a turtle egg actually grows up to being a fully uh, grown turtle. So one in 1000. So the question I want to ask is when you're initiating projects to unlock um, capacity uh, and profitability, are you laying turtle eggs or are you nurturing baby elephant calves? The discipline of ruthlessly prioritizing and staying true to your three-year goal is how the world-class companies operate. So stop starting and start finishing. That's part two. Let me quickly go into part four, which is about shifting. Um, this is actually about our frontline leaders in an organization. Um, I see, uh, you know, when we when we look at the upper end of an organization, you know, the, the senior management, the, the C-suite, there's no shortage of MBAs and executive coaching programs and leadership programs and, uh, you know, masterminding groups and whatnot. You know, we get inspired, you know, we are on LinkedIn and we do all that. But there's a forgotten tribe of these frontline leaders. You know, it, it's a common story where the best operator, you know, gets promoted, at, you know, to, to be a frontline leader. And I find a lot of helpless, good people who don't know how to manage teams. So as the company grows, as you go on this journey of improving performance and maturing with processes, don't forget your frontline leaders because they, they become a highly leverageable point of, uh, delivering a um, lot of capacity and capability and helping you on your journey. So invest in your frontline leaders to give them those basic leadership skills and bring them on the journey as well. Um, um, so it's, it's not the 
know, the, the paradigm is print versus marathon. And, um, you know, I find that a lot of businesses tend to sprint the marathon and, and we tend to burn people out. Um, so build that capability at the lower end of your leadership um, levels. Mm. Good point. Thank you. All right, let's turn the, turn the microphone over to the author. Um, and the reason why I like to do that is I do want to um, get the knowledge experts to ask me, a CEO of a company, and I invite those that are listening to, to consider the questions that Ishan might ask me to find your own answers in your own organizations. Um, so what, what have you, what, will you walk into a company or you start talking to a CEO, what are some of the questions you, you want to ask them to get a bearing on what the company is all about, et cetera? Mm. Uh, well, we've kind of uh, spoken a little bit about your um, continuous improvement uh, person starting and, you know, we've kind of played around with well, how could that look like? So, yeah, let's let's change them. Uh, let's change tables or swap tables. So, um, yes, well, welcome to the uh, advanced podcast. And my guest today is uh, the, the well-accomplished Tony Nash from Booktopia. <laughs> um, Tony, so... And, and what an amazing um, journey with, with Booktopia um, from um, internet marketing to recruitment to then starting this as almost like a side hustle. Is, is that how it started or where did the inspiration? Yeah, it was a, it was a side project because we had got Angus and Robertson to the top of Google and we used the same company they were using to start Booktopia as a little side project. Uh, this other company managed the site, fulfilled the orders. So it was just, it was a marketing, you know, it was, it was, we started off marketing a website that those guys kind of managed for us. Mm. And, um, and congratulations, you've recently gone through an IPO. Um, what, what, which year was that? Uh, a year ago, uh, December, 2020. Wow. During the pandemic. Mm. Um What's the, have you seen a difference in how you're running the business uh, as a public company versus a private company? Um, not for me, not for me. Um, there are differences, of course, because you've got the, you've got a, a board. We had a board already and we had um, non-executive uh, chairman and, and one director already from outside of the business, but um there, there's extra reporting there's there's um the audit process is much more uh, rigorous but otherwise from internally uh, from my perspective not much different uh, greater access to capital and having cash in the bank um is is the way it worked out for us yeah yeah and if i were to let's not say shop floor even your you know, your leaders, so extended leadership team. So what that means is the people reporting to your leaders, right? So, so you've got a team of people reporting to you. And if that's the leadership team, uh, the people reporting to them. So we're talking two levels below you as the CEO. If I were to go and ask them, um, where would they see Booktopia in by 2025? Would they have a clear picture? Would they articulate exactly where Booktopia is headed? Not today, but um, our head of strategy who has been with us for a number of years and we've appointed her into this specific role, mm. 
been has been working on that for the last um, three or four months. So by the beginning of 2022, um, we would have had a chance to start to um, um, form uh, formalize that process to then make sure that everyone within those groups will know that. So that was clearly identified as a, as a gap and yep. we're yep. Address, addressing that now for sure. Mm. So you recently hired this uh, process improvement person. What led you? So it looks like someone tapped on your shoulder and it looks like you're having the right conversations or so through, how, how did that awareness come about that we need somebody to, to drive some of this uh, work? Yeah, from our, I touched on it earlier in, in uh, the podcast, but um, it was clear that, that Wayne and I and other leaders were coming up with process improvement, identifying opportunities to improve processes. And, and we just felt that there was, that we're, there was so much going on that we needed to make sure that someone kind of owned it and therefore could build the process around it and and engage the stakeholders, map map what was going on, identify what needed to shift, and then create the 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 place where we needed to be, and then help that transition. So we we knew that the time was now to hire that person, we could really take advantage of that and not feel like they were, um, well, I think one of the things that perhaps in the past I would have feared is that they would have just left screaming because there wasn't the capacity to actually um, go on the journey with the improvement person because nobody had the time to actually address the things that actually needed to be improved. and it just felt like they were being very busy not getting any traction and not getting anything done. And I think in this, if you're going to, if you're going to embark on this kind of piece of work, you actually want to know that everything that they are doing, they have at their disposal, the resources, the people, um, the development team, the, the money, the time to be actually, actually prioritize and get it done rather than just coming up with a, a list of all the things where the company is inefficient and not working and, and you know, thank you very much for letting us know that. But we've done nothing about it. Mm. I think even like it's better to be actually ignorant of those than it is to know about them in some instances. So we're mm. I think we really knew that we could bring that person on and and have them uh, do the work and also deliver the work. Yeah. Do you uh, last question again? Just uh, conscient, uh, conscious of time. Um, do you have like regular town hall meetings or, you know, like communicating to the shop floor people and everyone in terms of here's the state of the nation and this is where we are heading and all of that, giving business updates? Is there a play? Do you have any yeah, of those? We, we did, and we did that mostly through our quarterly barbecues. Yeah. So that worked out well with the pandemic over the last couple of years, less so. But I think that's going to uh, switch gear to a whole other level now that um, we're listed so that the town halls are going to be every six months and they're going to have a, probably a different format and different information. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's going to feel to me like it's gone to another level. You're right about the time we're just coming up and I've got to jump onto another one in a minute. Uh, Ishan, thank you so much for coming on the program. Congrats on the book and all the work that you're doing. And I'm excited to hear about um, how, how you're going to change the world. 
Thank you very much, um, Tony, and I would love to um, extend uh, my appreciation to your team who have worked tirelessly um, to help get my book listed in Booktopia. Um, so uh, soon, uh, your listeners, um, end of this month, uh, you, listeners will be able to uh, get advance from, um, from Booktopia. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, and all the best. Speak soon. All the best. Speak soon. Bye. Now. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au